Yes, good Love morning. Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NJSBA's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in education, community, and beyond on the important education issues of the day, a conversation that brings the state leaders to you, and I hope that you all feel free to join in the conversation. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host this morning. A couple of ground rules. Uh, We have not been using the chat room feature on the computer yet, but we will later on in the year. If you are interested in calling in, a few things you should know. You, to call in, you dial 1-347-989-8904. And when you are ready to make a comment or ask a question of our guest, press 1. And that will indicate my switchboard that you are ready to or interested to ask a question. I have someone who will be screening the call. Her name is Anne-Marie, so that I can get the names of the caller and, their, and your question or topic. Also, if you're on the phone line, I will ask that you turn down your compu- the volume on your computer because they're at different times uh, and it's a little confusing. Finally, I will not be taking callers right away, but I will in about 10 minutes or so. So be patient. On April 20th, the New Jersey Supreme Court heard oral arguments on the, fu- on the cuts to the school funding formula in this year's current budget. The Abbott Court decisions have, for the most part, determined how education is funded in New Jersey schools. Some hailed as a landmark decision that puts New Jersey public education at the forefront in battling the achievement gap. And others feel that the Supreme Court in New Jersey has overstepped its bounds. Over the next two shows, we will discuss school funding in New Jersey from two totally different perspectives. Next Friday, May 13th, we will have Dave Shiara, the, ex- the Executive Director of the Education Law Center, who will be our guest, and he has argued before the Supreme Court on behalf of the Abbott District. Uh, but today, we are fortunate to have with us Assemblyman Michael Patrick Carroll from the 25th Legislative District. Assemblyman Carroll is a Republican and has been in the legislature since 1996. Welcome, Assemblyman Carroll. The pleasure is mine. Thank you for having me. Okay. Before we start on the our discussion on school funding and the Abbott decisions, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about the 25th Legislative District? Well, first, I guess it depends upon whether you're talking about today's Legislative 25th District or the one that we're going to have in January. Uh, at least at the present station, I represent uh, everything basically from Morris Township up to Jefferson. But as a result of the recent gerrymander, uh, they took away Rockaway Township and Jefferson Township from the 26th and added... Um, Netcong, Chester, Chester Borough, Washington Township, Menden Borough, and Bernardsville. So it's everything okay. from Morris Township to Washington Township with Bernardsville thrown in. And for those who are from South Jersey, we're primarily talking about Morris County. That's correct. Uh, all right. Uh, there's probably, in education, nothing that's probably guided how we allocate resources more than the, the Abbott decision. Uh, before we talk about what's going on with the court now, What's your view on uh, why you have had issues with previous Abbott rulings? Well, first and foremost, the court shouldn't be involved at all. Uh, The uh, New Jersey Constitution commends funding decisions to the sound discretion of the legislature, not to the courts. And uh, if one believes that the funding formula is unfair, then that is a political decision which ought to be made by the legislature, not by unelected judges. Um, well, how would you address school funding if, if you were the governor, and how would you allocate funds? Well, I, do, I mean, in, in, in the best of all possible worlds, I'd go to an equal funding for every single child in the state, no matter where they go to school. So 
So whether they're educated by their parents at home, by a rabbi, by a priest, or by a governmental employee, every kid in the state would get the same amount of state resources. Those could then be supplemented by a municipality, by a parent, by a church, or what have you. Where other funding comes from is really irrelevant. All money from the state ought to be divided equally, with perhaps, uh, I guess under things like IDEA and such like that, a special uh, additional sum for those who need a special educational services. Now, uh, Dave's not with us, but I'm sure he would argue that uh, that it's more difficult to educate children from high-poverty areas. Why? There has to be an allocation for that. What would your response be to Dave? Uh, I, I think he's uh, – I respect his opinion, but he's wrong. The simple fact of the matter is there's no reason in the world why it should cost any more to teach a poor kid to read than it does to teach a rich kid to read. The real problem isn't with schools, and we see that with the, with the results. No matter how much you spend, there are certain kids who just simply don't want to learn. My, some of my kids being amongst them, and they're hardly poor. Uh, the simple fact of the matter is, is that uh, the amount of money one spends over a certain amount is really more or less irrelevant. And we can prove that by the fact that some schools in very high poverty areas do very well whereas other schools in very high-poverty areas, which spend substantial amounts, don't. Uh, the amount of spending really has very little to do with the achievement of the children. So uh, money, from your perspective, uh, and actually even in his uh, ruling, uh, the special master, uh, Judge Doyne, actually alluded that money is not completely the answer. Uh, be that as it may, he did rule that they weren't funding it properly. But uh, if money's not the answer, how do we get all kids to learn? Well, let's go, let's go back there a little bit, because, I mean, you said Judge Doyne made a ruling that money wasn't the answer, he was going to order it anyway. That's, that reflects, first of all, his charge as a special master. He's a judge. He's a, a judge of the Superior Court. He takes orders from the Supremes. And so when the Supremes tell him he's supposed to ignore the budgetary crisis we find ourselves in today, he does it. When they set the parameters of the debate, he, like a good judge, obeys those parameters. Those parameters are silly. Uh, the, the idea that there is somehow an obligation to spend substantial sums in urban areas is nonsensical. But he took the orders that he was given. Now, when you think about it, though, think about the, the, the statement that you made in the question, that a judge, judge, would be ordering spending. With all due respect to the judiciary, who do they think they are? No one elected them. The power of the purse is exclusively legislative. Only the legislature can impose a tax. Only the legislature can spend money. And no court anywhere ever has the right to second-guess those decisions. So what were, you know, you're, you're, you know, let's, let's repeat the question again so that I can remember what you had to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I've made my speech. I need to answer the question. <laughs> no, you, you actually answered the question. Uh, well, no, actually, the, the other part is how do we get all children to learn now? I mean, that was the, the first part of the question is, is there a way that we can get – because we're not succeeding in uh, – let me take it back. We're succeeding probably in – the vast majority of schools doing a very good job. There are pockets, and probably the pockets are very similar in terms of their demographics across the nation. So how do we help those who are not learning? It's, it's, it's a, you know, primarily, ideally, it would be improved parenting somehow. I mean, because most of the kids who, who quote, aren't learning, unquote, uh, come from urban areas, poverty-stricken areas, and uh, the schools in which people tend to succeed in those areas tend to be uh, special schools, whether those schools are Catholic, whether those schools are religious, whether those schools are special public schools, which for whatever reason have uh, have succeeded. Uh, I wish I could tell you that there is one magic bullet that would uh, attend to all of those circumstances, but you can't. 
And if you're, if you know, the whole premise behind the so-called no child left behind, that every child can succeed, is nonsensical. Uh, there are always going to be kids who, for whatever reason, refuse or just won't or can't. And to, you know, to sit there and say that that every school must graduate 100% of its people or whatever is nonsensical. It's, a, it's, I mean, it may be an aspirational goal, but it's never going to happen. So the the solution to the problem, to my way of thinking, again, is equal distribution of funding and to expect from parents and communities that they'll take care of their own kids. Um, now, the Christie administration was handed a, a, a school funding formula. It wasn't Governor Christie's school funding formula. So he, uh, <coughs> excuse me, um, so when he was handed this, and I'm not sure what the governor, if he likes or dislikes it, I'm not sure. I know you voted against the current school funding formula. Am I correct? Correct. Uh, his argument before the Supreme Court is that the court needs to stay at hand that we're in a fiscal crisis, that the state just doesn't have the funds to allocate the funds that the formula states. Uh, do you think that's a valid argument? Of course. Again, coming back to the basic argument is legislatures, elected branches, get to decide how to spend money. Courts don't have that option. So the fact of the matter is, is that Last year, if the legislature felt that the Christie budget was inappropriate, the legislature could have voted for something different. If they feel this year, if, if the powers that be in the legislature feel that we should be spending more on one project than on another, the, certainly the majority party could propose a budget tomorrow that does exactly that. And then it would be up to the governor to, do, to decide whether or not he felt that the spending uh, allocations were appropriate to exercise his line item veto or what have you. These are political decisions in which courts have absolutely no place to be. So the idea that, that a governor or that the legislature, the elected branches, is appearing before a bunch of unelected judges, tugging its forelock and saying, please, you know, we have this, this, this fiscal crisis, let us spend as we think appropriate rather than as you think appropriate, is just a, a, an unbelievable concept. George, you know, courts have absolutely no place in that, uh, in that discussion. Except, like everybody else, I mean, the seven members of the New Jersey Supreme Court have the same right that you and I have to go to the polls on Election Day and vote for legislators who share their perspective. Other than that, their opinion is simply irrelevant. Well, politically, it has been irrelevant in terms of how we allocate resources. Um, we're speaking with Assemblyman Michael Patrick Carroll. If you're interested in uh, asking the Assemblyman a question, uh, dial 1-347-989-8904 and press the number 1. And, we, and our screener will uh, take your call. All right. Uh, now, I, I did observe the, the oral argument. And uh, the Education Law Center would counter that the SFRA, the school funding formula, is the law. So the state is obligated to fund this law. Um, so, and it was created, if the legislature and the governor don't like the funding formula, they can change it. But they, right now, it's the law. Well, we did change it. And remember, remember, in any budgetary process, the budget wins over any previously adopted statute. Uh, one legislature cannot bind another legislator coming up after the fact. So we can adopt a bill tomorrow that says we shall spend $100,000 on every kid. And then when the budget comes along two months from now, ignore it. Uh, the budget trumps all other statutes. And again, if at the end of the day the legislature last year or this year had felt the governor's budget was inappropriate, they could change it. But uh, we've had, whether it's uh, uh, transportation funding, whether it's, I mean, we have a bill, for example, that devotes hotel taxes to tourism and uh, 
and uh, historical preservation and things like that. We never spend the money that way. Uh, the bill says so, but we never do it. It's always going into the general revenue. We have fund, uh, a bill that says that money coming in from the re regional greenhouse initiatives shall be spent on renewable, on renewable energy. It doesn't happen. It all goes into the general fund. So just mm -hmm. so, we can pass a bill that says anything we want it to say, but the budget ultimately trumps everything we've done previously. Um, I had uh, someone email me. Who couldn't, he said he couldn't listen live, but he wanted me to ask you a, a question. Um, he says the Constitution states that New Jersey children from age 5 to 18 are entitled to a free public education. But in the current ruling, in his feeling, is that it's, it's extended beyond 5 to preschool. What are your views on that? Well, first of all, the, the, the bill says it shall be a three, th uh, the Constitution does not say that they'll be entitled to it. It says there should be a thorough and efficient system of free public schools for the education of children between the ages of 5 and 18. Uh, the Whitman administration, in conjunction with previous Abbott decisions, had that throwaway in there saying we're going to do preschool. And the court said, okay, we accept you at your word. Technically speaking, technically, there is no requirement that we do preschool at all. The court just simply accepted the Whitman administration at its word. Uh, it would be very difficult, I think, if the court had to contend that the preschool was a constitutional obligation. So I don't wholly put the burden of that particular foolish decision upon the court. They just simply accepted the, the word that the previous administration had given them and said, okay, that sounds like a good idea to us, but I don't think I may be wrong about this, but when I read the decision in that case, I don't think they ever said, you must do preschool. That was a throwaway by the political branches. Right, and, and the other governor did it. It was a remedy to help academic achievement. Right, and, and again, it's, it's, it's a kind of senseless remedy. I mean, I think that generally speaking, if you look around the world, you find that most places will admit that there's really no benefit whatsoever to preschool for so-called middle-class kids, and the benefit to uh, so-called poor kids is limited to three or four years. It's, there's certainly, I think, no educational benefit beyond, say, fourth, fifth, sixth grade at all. Um, let's get to some of the things that we're discussing right now, because you're in the legislature. We're, I mean, the budget is one of the first things that you have to work on, because everything else, as you stated earlier, kind of flows from the budget. How do you, as a legislature, deal with budgetary arguments with this court case out there? Uh, right now, it's very difficult to do, assuming you're going to pay attention to what the court has to say. And as you noted before, we always have, uh, which I think was a mistake. I, th I think that way back when, somebody should have stood up to the court and said, if you want to change the taxation system in the state run for office. Uh, but if, assuming you're going to pay attention to what the court says, if they contend tomorrow that you have to come up with $1.7 billion extra to fund the school funding formula uh, and the political branches are inclined to pay attention to it, it creates some very significant difficulties. Where do you cut? What other programs are going to have to go away? I mean, right now already we get, what, 60% of all the dollars go to Abbott school districts. We're going to say now that we've broadened that. I think uh, the court was talking about 200 school districts for sure spending, quote, less than adequate or what have you. Uh, that means that there are about 400 which are spending more. Are we going to take away that money from all the 400 to give to the 200 now instead of 30? Are we going to take away... Uh, all municipal funding or property tax aid to all other districts. We're going to take away Medicaid, Medicare, and stop spending money on pensions. You know, there are a lot of competing uh, uh, programs which want taxpayer funds, and uh, it's going to be very difficult to meet all those competing obligations if the court is insisting that education is sort of the 
900-pound gorilla in the room, especially lower or moderate income education, uh, and that we must spend money as they see fit. Uh, and actually, in the governor's current budget, there was an additional to almost $250 million allocated to public education mm -hmm. uh, for the upcoming budget. Right. <laughs> and again, at the end of the day, if the, if the powers that be in the legislature see fit to change that, they have the right. Uh, you know, at the, at the end of the day, the legislature, you know, the governor makes a proposed budget, but at the end of the day, the legislature must introduce it. Last year, for the very first time in the history of the state of New Jersey, the majority party refused to introduce a budget. If the majority party this year feels that the governor's budget does not meet the needs of the state of New Jersey, they have the power and the votes to change it. Uh, and I would certainly hope that they would exercise the leadership to do exactly that. Um, now, where you would get the money, I, I'm assuming, I'm taking the governor's word that he would veto any uh, tax increase. So we have to work for our listeners within the budget, that, the revenues that we have projected right now. Mm -hmm. um, now, you alluded that if we listen to the court. Governor Christie, probably the first governor I, I've heard, has hinted um, that maybe he may not. Uh, is that a good strategy on his part, or does he have any legal basis to do that in your well, mind? Sure. I mean, you know, the, the, you know the, the whole idea of judicial review is based upon the assumption that the court is actually confining itself to the subjects which are properly before it. And when a court says that it has the right to impose a tax or compel spending, it exceeds its appropriate authority. Uh, now, again, we should come back to, again, the separation of powers talk. Remember, the governor can't ignore what the court says per se. Because at the end of the day, the legislature and not the court, or not the uh, not the governor, is the one who drop, adopts the budget. If the, let's assume, just assume the court takes its its own language seriously. Let's assume it then goes out and orders full funding for the school funding uh, formula at uh, 1.7 billion dollars extra. You know, the governor says, "I've made my budget proposal. Legislature, if you don't like it, change it." And oh, you know, he could say, "But you know, oh, by the way, I've got one, just one." absolute requirement. I'm not imposing any new taxes. So if the majority party in the legislature says, okay, well, we've got the school funding decision out there. It costs for another $1.7 billion. We've got to readjust our spending somehow. And it's up to the legislature to come up with the budget to hand the governor uh, and, uh, and and give him the authority to spend. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't create the budget at the end of the day. The legislature does. And so if the court makes the order and the legislature wishes to comply, the majority party certainly has it within its means to craft an appropriate budget. I would strongly commend that they do precisely that. Well, that will be very interesting. Uh, we have a caller. Uh, Peter from Amos County, you had a question. You wanted to express some frustration? Yeah. <clears throat> Hi. Um, I've been in and out of your call, so I'm not entirely certain where the discussion is, is going. But just, you know, one of my observations, and I'm in Monmouth County for full disclosure, is that we are a J district. And one of the frustrations I have is I see within my school district programs getting cut, teachers getting stretched, class sizes increasing, programs and offerings to kids getting cut across the board, including uh, arts, sports, etc. Whereas a lot of the tax-paying dollars that I kick out are going to the Abbott districts, but instead of enhancing programs, what they're doing is building these multi-million dollar schools with marble facades and marble lobbies and entryways. So it's not really going to the programming of those schools in order to increase the education 
and or the quality of the, that education. Instead, it's going to infrastructure, and it's damaging our schools and the offerings that we can offer our kids. It just seems like there's a real imbalance. I think uh, you're not going to get too much argument from probably Assemblyman Carroll on this, but do you have any comment, Assemblyman? Well, part of it, again, remember, that's, that's, a, that's a special program, obviously. We, we borrowed and spent many billions of dollars to spend on schools in Abbott districts, and a lot of those schools became educational Taj Mahals where, uh, with there's very little established proof that a better facility creates a better education. I think Paul Molshein comments on this repeatedly, where you have some of these uh, special schools in New York City where they, uh, or even elsewhere, where they have great programs and people pounding on the doors to get in, uh, despite the fact that the school buildings lack cafeterias, that classes are being undertaken in in uh, halls and closets because the quality of the students and the quality of the education is great. Uh, right up the street from me is a school that was built about 100 years ago. I went to school there in second grade. My son went to school there in second grade. And it's still trucking along. Morristown High was built in 1916. It's still trucking along. There's no reason, and as Paul likes to point out, Princeton's Nassau Hall is still being used, and that was built hundreds of years ago, as were facilities in, in many other colleges. Uh, the mere age of a, of a school building is not indicative of its facility or its usefulness, so uh, utility. So from my perspective, I think we wasted a heck of a lot of money uh, building these hugely expensive uh, structures. Uh, they replaced a lot of schools which really didn't need to be replaced. And uh, as the caller said, the, uh, the infrastructure costs are substantial. I mean, we don't even count that in the budgets of the Abbott districts. Right now we hand, what's it, $28,000 a year per kid to Asbury Park, that doesn't include the amount we spent, uh, the taxpayers of the state of New Jersey spent, on public schools there. Uh, I did a, we, Paul and I did a, a figure, we figured that it cost about $4,000 extra per year, per kid, for the next 25 to 30 years, for each kid in the Patterson School District to take account of how much was spent building them new facilities. And that doesn't go into their present budget. That comes, that's paid by the taxpayers of the state of New Jersey, paying back the bonds we sold uh, for money we didn't have to build schools we couldn't afford. So, Peter, uh, the assembly is correct that the the, the buildings, the, the separate funding was for the, the facilities, and actually some of that did go to non-Abbott districts uh, also. Um, About 40%, though, and there, there again was the key, is that, is that uh, in, in districts like Randolph up here, they decided not to take the money because they didn't want to spend uh, and increase taxes for the additional 60% they had to fund out of their own pocket. Am I still on the call? Yeah, you're still on if you have an additional but, question. But I, yeah, just my additional comment on that is it still feels like the impasse is there because it still feels like, you know, our school district, for example, gets no state funding. We get zero. They cut it out 100%. So in retrospect, the Abbott districts are still getting funding in there. Um, so that allows us not to expand any of our programs, whereas they've got these Taj Mahal schools, as you've commented, and they're still getting funding. They're throwing more money at an imperfect uh, platform, whereas we have to continually stretch our classroom size and our programs. No, so it's not getting corrected in any, in any facet. Remember, I come from Morris County. We're, we're used to that. And you come from Monmouth because, you know, as, as you probably know, you're very rich and you can afford all this, according to the court and according to some of the people in the legislature. And it's, it's absurd at the end of the day when you favor one class of students because you claim that they're poor and somehow in need of greater educational spending, when there's really very little proof that people who are poor need more spending than people who are middle class. It sounds like uh, we're in agreement with this. Thank you. I appreciate those comments. Uh, 
Peter, I'll just I'm going to put you on hold and uh, you can continue to listen. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Okay. Um, you know, in the during the court hearings, I'm switching gears a little bit here. Uh, Justice Albin came under some scrutiny and criticism for his comments during the proceeding on the millionaires tax that there was money in the budget and that the legislature and the governor didn't work in sync on that, and so they have less state revenue. Uh, do you think the criticism of the justice was warranted? Of course. I mean, let's start from the from the first aspect of it. The millionaire's tax still exists. The millionaire's tax was imposed by Governor McGreevy uh, and was an original tax up to about 7 or 7.5%, 7 something along those lines. And remember, at the time, he promised that every nickel of that money was going to go forever to funding property tax rebates. It didn't. Within a year, the rebates were gone and the millionaire's tax remained. Given that the revenues still weren't high enough from the perspective of the majority party, they imposed a surcharge, a temporary surcharge, on people who are allegedly high income. Uh, that lapsed of its own accord about a year and a half ago, two years ago, when Governor Corzine left office. If, again, if the majority party had felt at that time that the revenues were necessary, they, could, they had the votes, they could have done it, they could have extended that tax, made it permanent, and I'm sure Governor Corzine would have signed it. They chose not to do so. There was no tax cut. The tax, the temporary, allegedly temporary tax limit uh, uh, additional, just expired of its own terms. And so there, we, there was no choice on the part of uh, the, this governor or what have you to, to cut taxes. It was done automatically. Again, if the majority party had felt it was necessary, they could have done it before it expired. What the governor has done is to veto the attempts to reestablish re it, which I think uh, are entirely appropriate. Our problem in the state of New Jersey is not that anyone is under tax. The problem is that we're spending way too much money. Uh, we're talking with Assemblyman Michael Patrick Carroll from the uh, 25th Legislative District. Uh, if you want to call in and talk to the Assemblyman, the number is 1-347-989-8904. And you just press 1 if you have a question in our screen or we'll get to you. Um, well, what do you think the Supreme Court is going to do? Uh, I, I know it's... Uh, not what you want them to do, because they probably well, have no, never no. My, done my what you wanted to do anyway. My, my crystal ball has been proven to be faulty on numerous occasions. Uh, you know, if, if I had to place a wager, I'd say we'll try and finesse the issue a little bit, because the court just is, is, is justifiably reluctant at times to pick a fight if it doesn't have to. So my guess, I remember when, when Governor McGreevy illegally borrowed to, bar, to fund uh, State expenditures for you know, just normal expenditures was borrowing for operating expenditures. The court said to him, in effect, no, that's unconstitutional, you can't do it, but we're going to give you one more chance, which indicates to me they don't take their role very seriously because you're not allowed a constitutional mulligan. If you're violating the Constitution, it should stop. If they have the courage of their convictions, if they truly believe the rhetoric they've espoused, they will announced that the, the school funding formula that was adopted by way of a statute is actually a constitutional requirement, and they will brook no uh, deviation from that particular new constitutional creation. My guess is they'll find a way to finesse it. Uh, may, they might come up and say, you know, the, let's, let's pick a number that Judge Al Justice Alvin came up with. Let's say, okay, well, you don't have to come up with it all this year. Come up with $800 million of it as if they couldn't guess where that's going to come from. Um, or they're going to try and get it from there. But again, if I'm the governor, I, I, my argument back is that we can't afford new taxes. We, we are, we're already overtaxed. If the legislature feels that it has to comply with this particular edict from the Supreme Court, the majority party should show us how it's going to do it without new taxes. 
I think even uh, Dave Schneider has argued that it would be a phase-in. Um, but but again, you can't take over three or four years with an extra four hundred million every year, and I guess you—I I don't know—I'm I'm throwing out numbers, but well, I, I, must, I must respectfully must respectfully disagree with 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 the advocate because the fact of the matter is, is if the Constitution compels this particular funding level, then that's what the Constitution compels, and the court cannot take consideration of uh, political concerns. And if Mr. Shara takes his constitutional provision seriously, he will say this is what it calls for. You may not deviate from it, and circumstances simply will not permit you to deviate from it. If the Constitution requires it, you must do it. Uh, I don't think the Constitution requires it. I don't think there's any, any, any support one way at, at all for that provision. But if you are serious, if you honestly believe that that is what the Constitution compels, then you cannot tolerate deviation. And uh, well, we can always come up with the money in the sense of cutting other programs. But uh, you can't take an argument seriously and say the Constitution compels it next year but not this year. Uh, it either does or it doesn't. So it's either fully funding or nothing. Not nothing. Okay. It either it either 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 the Constitution means what the court has told us it means in this uh, that the statute that we adapted a couple of years back is actually of constitutional import. Either it means that or it doesn't. If it doesn't, okay. that undercuts the entire Abbott decision from the get-go. If it does, you cannot deviate from it. There are no two ways around it. The court is not in the business of assessing whether or not a particular constitutional provision is a good idea or a bad idea, whether it has a good effect or a bad effect. If that's what the Constitution says, then that what, that's what the court's obligation is, is to enforce that provision. And you cannot take them seriously if they tell you that, uh, that the Constitution, the constitutional requirements, are subject to being adjusted uh, by political circumstances. Um. The, the, when the Governor Christie argued that it's, we're in a fiscal crisis and uh, the court should let the legislature and the governor work together to handle this, if the court ruled in that sense, who decides, who decides when there's a fiscal crisis? Well, again, if, if, if the court does what it's supposed to do, it should get out of the business of trying to determine what is and what is not a fiscal crisis or what have you. It should simply say, the amount of funding that the government chooses to spend on any particular program is a matter entrusted solely and exclusively to the governor and to the legislature. And courts simply have no role. Uh, if it said that originally, we wouldn't have been arguing about this for the past 40 years, whether it was in Robinson versus Cahill in 1975 or subsequently. would simply say, here is what the Constitution requires respecting spending, that the legislature make that call. Please go away, Mr. Sharon, if you, like, uh, if you want more spending or what have you. Go talk to your friendly neighborhood legislature. Um, the previous <coughs> the, the caller uh, mentioned uh, the academic achievement, uh, or lack thereof, in some of the Abbott districts. Mm -hmm. um, so your position is that that's proof that the money doesn't work. And no, no, I'm no, trying no, to get us to – or money's not the answer, I should say. True. Um, so, I mean, the, I mean, let's, let's 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 take it simply. I mean, you know, some schools in Abbott, in, in some private schools in Abbott districts are doing very well. St. Benedict's doesn't spend what uh, what the Newark public schools spend. Uh, the governor sent his own kids to Assumption in Morristown, which spends one fourth what the local public schools spend, maybe one fifth. Uh, you know, it's, it's the money is not the solution. The solution is basically parental involvement. And if you and again, I must feel some sympathy for the people who are trying. I mean, again, they, they're trying their best. 
kids, the teachers in Newark and in, in Asbury Park and other places, they're not idiots. They're not adults. They're trying their best. But when they've got the kids for six, six hours a day and you're sending them home for the next 18 to circumstances which are not, shall we say, conducive to learning, it's hardly a surprise that the schools are not going to succeed. Looking at the schools as being the be-all and end-all, the solution to all of our social problems is nonsensical. And it, it, it's never going to work, never has and never will. You cannot substitute in six hours. You cannot expect teachers to substitute as parents. It's, it's, it's just not going to work. Never has. So you're saying that uh, in edu- education can't – it's a, it's a social problem more than it is an education Absolutely. problem. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's, it's not rocket science when you have in some districts, and I mean many of the Abbott districts, where kids are coming in and they, they may or may not have one or, or fewer parents at home. Uh, the parents are not reading to the kids. They're not helping out with the homework or what have you. Uh, it's hardly a surprise that the teachers will not be able to undo in six hours a day, 180 days a year, the damage that is being done otherwise. Uh, in, 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 we talked about preschool a little while ago. Preschool is more or less useless. However, the so-called early childhood education programs are not necessarily useless. They have programs, I think, out in San Francisco and other places where you have very early intervention, literally from birth, to help kids out so that they come to school four or five years later with uh, the kind of advantages a middle-class child gets from good parenting. That's incredibly expensive, but it also has nothing to do with the kind of programs that we're involved with here uh, in the Abbott districts. Um, uh, earlier in the conversation, you talked about how the, uh, the special master talked about the school funding formula, and it wasn't just for the Abbott or former Abbott districts, but for 205 districts that are below adequacy. Mm-hmm. I'm sure some of them are in, in your legislative district. Only uh, one, I think. Uh, so would that be something uh, that might benefit a lot of suburban school districts? Well, you know, again, the, the answer to the question is, is if, you, if you take money, as a, no one's going to refuse a gift. If, 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 this, if money grew on trees and we could distribute it, uh, you know, what would make the legislature happier than to have unlimited amounts of funds to shower upon our constituents? It would be great. We don't have that. The question has never been one of whether or not we wouldn't love to spend other people's money on our districts. We would. Uh, there's nothing better in the world from a legislative perspective than to be handed the ability to hand out checks. We don't have the money. So at the end of the day, it has to come from somewhere. And even if it benefited my district, even if I had two or three or ten or twenty towns in my district which would get all sorts of money, I would be forced to look at them and say, where are we going to get it? And uh, you know, even assuming that money is absolutely vital, and at some level it clearly is, there's just no way to come up with it. So you know, it's it's you can dream all you want to, you can engage in such counterfactual hypotheticals as you think are appropriate, but the, at the end of the day, you cannot spend what you don't got, and we don't got it. So it would have to come from other programs, hospitals, municipalities, uh, municipalities, maybe non-mandatory. Medicaid, tourism, beach preservation, environmental protection, call it what you will. You know, if you want to spend money on Program A and you're not going to increase taxes and the economy still stinks, you're going to have to find another program to cut. And so when people write me a letter and they say, well, preserve this program or preserve that program or increase money on something else, I always write them back and say, where are we going to get the money? And I've yet to hear a response to that. Oftentimes people respond, well, it's, it's my job to tell you how to spend the money and your job to come up with it. Well, I must respectfully dissent from that job description. 
You know, the, the fact is is that uh, being governor, or being a legislator, means uh, having priorities. And uh, if if you believe, if the court believes, for example, that uh, that we have to come up with 1.7 billion dollars and we're not going to increase taxes because they're already too high, where are we going to get the money? And you know, I'm more than willing to entertain anybody else's uh, considerations or ideas as to how it's like pension reform. We owe five billion dollars right now to the pension this year. Where are we going to go? Uh, you know, and, and if if you're a teacher or a cop or a firefighter and you want that money to go into helping out your pension. And now you're still talking about $1.7 billion extra for schools, plus the hospitals are always moaning they don't have enough money, and they want to increase New Jersey's family care. You know, at the end of the day, there simply isn't enough money to do all the things that people think should, uh, would, it would be nice for government to do. Particularly in this economy where the, the revenues have uh, been reduced over the well, last year. The other problem is, is that in a good economy, when you go wild on spending, all of a sudden you set baselines. And, you know, and, and, and so you find yourself in a situation where during the flush times of the go-go 90s, you were spending money hand over fist when Jim McGreevy took over one year's budget increase by 17%. And then the next year, you look around and say, holy crap, what happened? You know, where all this money? Well, we're spending this money, and now we've got to increase it on that baseline. Well, it can't be done. You know, it's, uh, we've, we've, we've hit the wall. And whether that wall is educational spending or hospital spending or community aid or property tax relief, it just isn't there. And so, if the, like I said, coming back to the original purpose of this discussion, if there's $1.7 billion or $4 billion, $400 million or $800 million that has to be come up with, let the majority party show us where they're going to come up with the money. When they present the budget, then we can have an intelligent discussion on, uh, on how we should do it. Um, so what are we heading for then? Do you think, uh, is this going to be like, uh, if, if it plays out the way you're, feeling it might with uh, being asked for a significant increase and the governor and I, I think your party reluctant to to follow this court order or at least uh, if, if it does come. Uh, do we have uh, a shutdown or do we have a, a budgetary agreement? Because everything, the pension reform is all based in the budget um, and the, and the bene- and, uh, health benefits reform is based in the budget. So how do we move forward? That, you know, again, it's 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 never easy. Uh, anybody who's ever sat through a budget cycle, even in flush times, know it's never easy. There are always people who want more uh, for any particular program because there is a limitless desire for uh, other people's money. It's just the way it works. Uh, if if you know, in a bad time like the ones we've been facing these last couple of years. Uh, when you have this third-party interloper, the court asserting a right to compel spending on particular projects, that complicates matters because now there are certain areas on which it's not possible to compromise. You've got a constitutional command, and as I said before, either the Constitution says what it says, what they say it says, or it doesn't. If it does, you cannot compromise. You've got to comply with the constitutional requirements. And if that's the case, assuming for the moment that we take the court seriously and assuming it takes itself seriously and therefore asserts that we have to spend $1.7 billion. I mean, if you've got a solution to, to to how we do that without raising taxes, I'm all ears. In fact, I'm just dying for uh, Senator Sweeney and for Speaker Oliver and for Assemblyman Jaron Greenwald et cetera, to, and Assembly, uh, Senator Bono to show us where the money is coming from and, and how they intend to anticipate rearranging the governor's budget. Again, that's one of the, the, the privileges of being in the majority. You have to lead. And right now, the majority party has not led. It's sitting there sniping on the sidelines. 
if it believes that, that, that more money is necessary for education, let us show it. It should come forward with a proposal that doesn't increase taxes and shows us how to do it. Uh, you know, I, I don't envy them because it's not going to be easy. But that's what happens when you're in the majority. You have to show us how you do it. I know how I do it. I basically change the entire system. You know, basically going to an equal funding for every kid. Every kid gets precisely the same amount of money from the state. That's what I think is fair. And if so parents, that, I mean, it's, go ahead. Wouldn't that, if it, if you put that into place like overnight, would that like school districts that receive uh, like 90% from the state would all of a sudden have like huge massive cuts? Um, yep. Even with the school funding formula now in place, they were probably being held flat for three or four years. Some of the you know, districts like Jersey City and Newark weren't looking at increased funding of any magnitude for years and years. Um, wouldn't that cause a crisis in some of our urban areas? It might. You know, and, and, and I don't the, – the answer to the question is right now they're way overspending. You know, as, as we discussed before, Asbury, was Asbury Park, I think, spent $28,000 per year just in state funds. Uh, they're going to have to learn to get by with less. And, uh, you know, it's just simply a fact of life. Because I, I, I was, I was, there was a story in the Star Ledger not long ago about how you, uh, I think Gordon McGinnis was talking about it. And Gordon is a very thoughtful man, and he was talking about uh, some of the programs that work really well about emphasizing reading, for example. When I was in fourth grade, I could tell you exactly what my schedule was every day. We had reading, spelling, English, math, social studies, and then other things. So think about that. Three out of the four, five major courses involved reading, but that didn't cost any more than the present circumstances do. I mean. Putting books in a classroom is cheap. He was talking about 100 volumes in each classroom. Okay, that's a $3,000 expenditure, assuming you got $10 a book, and it happens once. Books last for a long time. You know, all these things could be done very cheaply. Uh, so the amount of expenditures we see going for public schools in Newark, you know, when they're spending, what, $250,000, for example, on their administrator, is nonsensical. You don't need that kind of money. It just doesn't cost that much money to teach a kid to read. Um, but wasn't the original Abbott decisions based on the fact that, well, actually it was based on disparity in spending, that they didn't have the tax base and they couldn't spend as much, and that some of the, the suburban districts could spend as much uh, more. Uh, so that's how we got started in this. With that, well, that was the original, the original Robinson versus Cahill. I think the discrepancy between what Short Hills was spending and what Newark was spending was like $175 per kid. But, you know, now there's no district in the state, probably, in fact, no district in the world that spends what we spend on Abbott districts. And over the course of the last 40 years, I did, there was a, a chart on one of the websites I looked up. Seven of the top ten spending districts in the country are New Jersey Abbott districts. Have we gotten the bang for our bucks? And I think we conclusively established, time after time, that money isn't the answer. As I said to you before, if you did three, like five courses a day, three of which were English classes, that doesn't cost anything to do. I mean, it shouldn't cost no more to do that in an Abbott district than it does in, in Morristown or Harding or anywhere else. Uh, the fact is, is if you give them the program that is relatively inexpensive, it'll work. Or, or at least it'll work as well as it always has. But if you're expecting perfection, it isn't going to happen. Uh, as I said, coming back to the original analysis, the spending is not the key. You cannot solve a social program at a school. It's just not going to happen. Okay, so... Um we're getting down to our, our ending. Any final comments on that? Because uh, I just want to—you said it's a social problem. Should we be spending money in another area on social, on social programs? Well, you say we. Education. In, in, you say we. The, the you know the the, the best possible I meant the social. State. Pro 
Well, the best the best possible social program is individual responsibility. If uh, if you didn't make a baby until such time as you were married, that would solve a lot of the social problems in a heartbeat. You know, so I think we have to we as a society have to expect our members to act responsibly and hold them accountable when they don't. So again, you're, you're, we're trying to solve a a crisis here. We, you know, in in some areas that where 70, 80, 90 percent of the kids are born out of wedlock, where uh, certainly paternal involvement in their lives is minimal in many cases. Uh, in many cases, maternal involvement in their lives is, is, is problematic. Uh, you can't expect the school system to change that. It's just not going to happen. Uh, but we have to look at our, our citizens, our, our residents, and say that uh, you do right by your kids. You know, for example, don't have them until such time as you're ready to have them. Uh, we ought to expect individual responsibility from those who are adults, uh, they should act like adults and, and not in, in, incur the kind of, uh, not, not create the problem for the rest of society that many of Okay, uh, that brings us to the end of the show. I'd like to thank Assembly Michael Patrick Carroll for joining me. I appreciate uh, it. I'm sorry for making a speech. <laughs> uh, next week, or next show is, is Friday, May 13th, and our guest with a totally different point of view is Dave Sierra from the Education Law Center. Uh, and thank you for joining us in conversations on New Jersey education. And I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And, and that brings us to the end of our show.